Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. So this summer we have been going through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We've gone through the different petitions, the different requests that Jesus instructs us to make in the Lord's Prayer. And we haven't really been looking at, you know, how does this inform our prayer lives, but really we've been looking at how does it inform how we live. These prayers are instructions for how to live. And so we looked at, you know, hallowed be your name, instructing us to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God's name. Uh, We looked at let your kingdom come as what are we doing to see God's kingdom, not our own, established in earth. And then we talked about living according to God's moral will. And last week, or two weeks ago, Jordan preached a challenging message on living dependent on God. And not just praying it, but really living in a way that depends on Him. So tonight we turn to the fifth petition, which is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, The fifth one I think is probably the most significant of the petitions. And I don't just say that because I'm the one preaching it, but I think it really is the most significant for a couple of reasons. I think first it gets at, I think, truly the heart of the gospel and the more than any other, uh, others. Specifically, we have this kind of oxymoron in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus is instructing us to pray to God as our Father. And yet, in this prayer, we also confess that we are sinners. And there's a question, how do sinners call God, a holy God, their Father? And the answer is in the Son of God who is teaching us to pray this way. And so I think within this prayer is the great hope and mystery of the gospel uh, that we can be forgiven. And I think it's also most significant because it comes with a warning. At the conclusion of teaching the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus wraps up and and he adds a couple sentences as a warning. He says, for if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And so he sums up his teaching on the Lord's Prayer with a reference back to this petition and a warning. And it's not, even the prayer itself includes the warning in that it assumes that when we come to God asking for forgiveness, that we have already forgiven our debtors. In fact, if we haven't forgiven our debtors, we're not asking God for much. For God, forgive me as I hold a grudge against this other man. Well, you're asking God to hold a grudge against you. And so the prayer itself is a warning that we ought to forgive others. And so it is a strict and stark warning that we need to take heed to. And so we learn from this that forgiving our debtors is an essential part of the Christian life. It is not a secondary matter or a minor issue, but it is of extreme importance. We cannot call ourselves Christians if we do not practice forgiving others. And we, so we must take heed to bitterness in our hearts. Because in the end, that's what failing to forgive others is. It's letting bitterness grow in your heart. And this is an issue that touches every part of our lives. Because as I said, the church is a family. But you look around this room, and believe it or not, everyone here is a sinner. And so you have opportunities every day, every week, where you, have, you are sinned against and you have a choice to forgive or to hold a grudge. This is true in our homes, in our marriages, at work, and in church. It's everywhere. And so there's no part of our lives that this doesn't touch. 
So to understand why forgiveness is so important, to understand how to forgive, I want to turn to the story of Joseph. I think uh, next to Christ's forgiveness of us, this is the most significant stories of forgiveness. And we're going to look at how he teaches us how to forgive and what forgiveness is. So if you could please stand as we read from Genesis 50, 15, and 21. This is the word of the Lord. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The word of the Lord. You can take a seat. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that you have established us as your people and as your family, Lord. Ask that you would bless the sermon, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are soft and ears that hear, Lord, that you would um, show us where we hold bitterness and grudges, Lord, and that we would choose to forgive. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joseph's response to his brothers has always been one that's astounded me. I, he's standing before his brothers who have done him great evil, and he finds no hatred in his heart, no sense of wanting to make them pay. I, mean, I think if we're honest, we look at our own hearts. I look at my own heart, and you know, I get mad. I got mad the other night that the guy in front of me, Mr. Freeze, ordered 12 ice cream cones, and I had to wait longer than I wanted to. And here Joseph is standing before his brothers, and he finds a way to forgive them and have no ill will in his heart. And so the story of Joseph is one I trust we're, fairly, we're familiar with, um, so I won't go into too much detail. But I do want to remember for a minute and think about all the wrong that he suffers at the hand of his brothers. I mean, first, we know these are his older brothers, and he grew up likely with them hating him his whole life. And when he goes to visit them, uh, and, and while they're shep out shepherding, they throw him in a pit with the intent on killing him. In fact, most of them want to kill him. It's only because of the older brother that they're eventually convinced to sell him into slavery. You know, that's the kind option. We'll, we'll sell him into slavery. And so he goes from being the favorite son of a great man to being a household slave in a foreign nation. He had sunk low, lower than he ever thought he would probably. And then it gets worse from there, as we know, that he gets accused of doing something he didn't do, and he's unjustly thrown in prison, where he spends several years. And then in prison, he is forgotten and alone for several years. And so think for a moment what that would be like, to be alone in prison with nothing but your thoughts, thinking back to your days perhaps growing up with your father and your brother shepherding in the open sky. I think... I, to most of us, I think this sounds like the plot of an epic revenge story. You know, like something like the Count of Monte Cristo or the John Wick movies or something like that. That's, that's the type of stories we love. But this isn't the story of Joseph. 
somehow from this dark moment where he suffered so much pain and grief and he's alone. Bitterness does not take hold in his heart, but he's able to forgive and wish good for his brothers. And so there are three parts to his response, three things he says that I think teach us how he was able to do this and teach us why forgiveness is so important, why Christ put such an emphasis on forgiving others. So the first two parts show that our forgiving others is tied to our humility and our faith. And so if we have not humility and we have not faith, then what can we really expect from God? Why should we expect forgiveness from God? And this is why Jesus put such great emphasis on it. And third, we will see that complete forgiveness doesn't just stop at forgive and forget, but it seeks the good of those who harm us. So the first thing that Joseph says to his brothers is, do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? And so this question, this rhetorical question here, am I in God's place, is the key part. What he's saying to his brothers is that I am not God. It is not for me, it is not my role to hold a grudge against you, to condemn you, to seek to do you harm. Joseph understood that God alone is the judge. At the end of all days, every man will stand before God our judge and will give an account for every thought, every word, and every action. As Romans tells us, there will be those who in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality receive eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will receive wrath and indignation. There is no man spared from this judgment. Every great king to the lowest slave will give an account to God and God alone. For he alone is, worth, is fit to do the task. He alone has all knowledge and he alone can pierce and penetrate to the thoughts of the heart. So man looks to the outside, but God looks to the inside. So it is for God to judge. And Joseph understood that for him to hold a grudge against his brothers, to do them harm, that he would be acting as their judge in a way that only God should. He understood this. He knew that he was a man just like his brothers and that he was guilty of his own sin. He understood that it was not his role to judge and condemn his brothers. This response shows his humility in recognizing that he is not God, but God is the judge. And so the reality is that when we hold a grudge against somebody, whether it's in deed or in our hearts, we're bitter towards them and wish them evil in our hearts and do not extend forgiveness, we are acting in God's place as their judge. Our pride has inflated us and we have taken a position that we should not. I think often, I think our, our imaginations reveal this. When we're bitter, often we can get stuck in this, this bitter thinking where we can replay an offense over and over again in our mind and where we can start imagining, thinking about it from different angles, thinking about how all the ways they wronged us, all, you know, and they did this and, and that, and this was another thing they did. And, and our minds kind of spiral down in this way. I, I call this, a, it's like a bitter lust. And I call it lust because it's sick and perverted and it will destroy us. But at the same time, there is, I think we really actually enjoy it. We enjoy this kind of bitter trail of thinking in our minds where we just are lashing out at somebody. And then often, I think in our imaginations, what we do is then we imagine ourselves in situations where finally we can let them have it, you know, where we can unload all the wrath and all our indignation on them, where we can, where we imagine ourselves just explain all the wrong they did, all the ways they hurt us. 
And what are we doing when we do this, other than acting as God in our hearts? What are we doing except judging them, condemning them, and wishing that we could pour out wrath and indignation on them? But this is God's role and not ours. And we should not let our pride put us in that position. And furthermore, we also set ourselves in God's place when we act as everybody's critic. Uh, Pastor Andrew, if you're not Pastor Andrew enough, he'll explain to you the difference between being critical and being a critic. We need critical people, people that think about problems and find solutions. We don't want just people that are going around saying everything's okay and there's no problems in the world, but we don't want to be a critic. A critic is somebody who likes to just chirp and say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, but never lends a hand to help. And I think most of the time when we act as a critic, when we're full of complaints and criticisms of other people, I think the root of what's going on is that we have bitterness in our hearts, that we have set ourselves up as judge over everybody, that in somewhere, somewhere in our hearts that we think the world's against us, that everybody's out to get us, and so we need to retaliate by criticizing and judging. And we trust that nobody's for us, but we have to look out for ourselves. And so this is another way that our bitterness, it shows our pride, our pride, and that we set ourselves in the place of God when we are critical of everyone and everything. When we come to God and ask for forgiveness while being unwilling to forgive somebody else, it is a slap in the face to God. It is a disrespect and dishonor to Him. We're telling God that we need forgiveness, that, we, that we've sinned against Him, but, but really, though, our sins aren't that bad because His sins, His are worse. We're like the Pharisee that when he's praying, he says, I thank you, Father, I'm not like this tax collector next to me. I'm, I'm righteous. I do all the things I do. This is the parable from Luke 18, if you recall. But the, the tax collector, he's not comparing himself to anyone. He, he just cause, he beats his chest and says, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. And so when we, when we hold bitterness in our hearts against other people, we are like this Pharisee. And we say, I'm not like them. I'm better than them. I deserve forgiveness. They don't. And this is not one that God forgives. As Jesus says, the Pharisee does not go away justified, but the tax collector does. And it, in an even worse way, when we ask God to forgive us our sins, but refuse to forgive other sins, what we are telling God is that sin against us is actually worse than sin against him. I mean, think about it. You say, God, you should forgive me. God, would you forgive me? I, I, I'm screwed up. That's wrong. Would you forgive me? But when others wrong you, that's, I mean, that's too bad. That's too far. I'm, to, to do me wrong, whoa, that's a bridge too far. That's not worth forgiving. And this is what we tell God when we refuse to forgive others, but ask him for forgiveness. And so take account of yourself. Do you make a bigger deal of your sins or other sins? Jesus says, he who loves much, he who is forgiven much, loves much. Do you understand how much you were forgiven? Or do you think you were forgiven just a little bit? Do you confess your sins to God without dressing yourself up to look good, to look righteous? Or, or do you kind of soften the edge of your sin a little bit? If we're going to fight pride in our bitter hearts, we need to cultivate an understanding of our sin. And not, and not just our sin, but then God's mercy and his love toward us. 
And we're so preoccupied in our thinking with our sin and God's mercy for us and all that he's done for us and how unworthy and undeserving we are of it, we won't be thinking of other sins. We won't be holding grudges because we will be too in awe and too enamored with God's mercy for us. But most of the time we don't, we don't think this way. We don't think we're that bad. We don't think our sin is that vile. And we compare ourselves to others and we always come out on top. And so now all of a sudden we view their wrongs against us as unpardonable, that their sins against me are so much worse than anything I have done. And so we hold grudges. But if we are to take Jesus' word seriously, his warning seriously, we must cultivate humility in our hearts. Humility that understands our sin without comparing it to others and that rejoices in God's mercy for us. In the next part of Joseph's response, he teaches us to have faith in the midst of suffering and the suffering we experience at the hands of others. I think often the hardest part of forgiving others their sins is that we are still in the midst of the pain from the sin. Maybe the offense happened some time ago and yet we continue to live in, in the, the fallout from that, that hurt and that wrong. And so we can be so overcome with still the pain of it that we can't we can't see anything but hatred in our hearts. We can't find a way to forgive. But if we are to overcome this, then we need to be able to look beyond the evil of man and see the goodness of God. And so when Joseph, this is Joseph when he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so in this response, Joseph shows that he understands the sovereignty of God. To Joseph, the sovereignty of God was not just a theological idea or some idea or concept, but it was, it, was a firm, it was a reality that was solid rock underneath his feet. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he doesn't just say that God used it for good. He doesn't say that God picked up the scraps and he did what he could. He says God meant it for good. He understood that it was God who sent him to Egypt. Not more and above what his brothers did. It was God who preordained and sent him to Egypt. And so in the wrongs that we have suffered, can we see that it is God who has done it? Can we see that God is working in it and he has caused it? And I think that, that helps us a little bit, I think, overcome the bitterness. But, I think, but also teaches us the reality that in all our bitterness, all our unforgiveness, ultimately it terminates on God. Ultimately, it is us pointing the finger at God and saying, you did this to me. You failed me. You wronged me. That's what we say when we hold unforgiveness in our hearts. Because God is the one who has ordained it. But God is not unfair to us. And he never ceases to do us good. He's given his only son for us. And Romans 8.28 says that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I mean, how could we ever point to this God and say, how could you do this to me? How could you fail me? But this is what we do when we are bitter against others in our hearts. But Joseph doesn't just say God meant it. He says God meant it for good, to preserve many people alive. He, he looks and he thinks about the good that God has actually done. And so when he says to preserve many alive, he is referring to the, the famine that existed in Egypt. Joseph was an integral part of bringing Egypt through the famine and ultimately also bringing the house of Israel, the house of Jacob through the famine. And through Joseph, God has 
preserved them alive, and he has preserved the promised, the covenant people of God, whom ultimately the Messiah comes. And so Joseph, he sees and understands and thanks God for the goodness that he has brought about, even through his suffering. And so as, as believers, as those who claim that God is sovereign over all things, that he's working for our good, do we see the good God is doing in our trials? Do we have the faith to say in our pain that others cause us that God meant it for good? And I don't think there's any situation that we, can, that we go through that we can't stop, if we stop and think, can't find something good that God does. Now, I think that's the catch. Sometimes I think we can just say Romans 8.28, God works all things together for our good without really thinking about, okay, wait, what good is God actually doing for me in the midst of it? And I think it's gonna, it will help us if we actually think about the good God is doing. It will help us overcome bitterness and, and it's our worship to God that we would pay attention to what he's doing in our lives and give him praise and thanks. And so if we're going to overcome bitter, unforgiving hearts, we need to develop the skill, the habit of seeing the good that God is doing. And it's, it's not something that comes naturally, but it's something we need to develop. But again, I, you know, as an example, I was, I think, again, we, anything we think of, I think we can find God's goodness. As I was thinking about this, I was remembering a minor trial from just a couple months ago that I went through. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, but as I thought about it, God's goodness in the midst of it was clear. And if I didn't think about it, I would miss out on an opportunity to praise God and have my faith be built up. So a couple months ago, uh, my wife and I were driving down 24 West towards Bryan. It was her dad's 50th birthday. Um, so we were going to have a, a nice evening with them when my car overheated real all of a sudden. It was a hot day and I pull over on side of 24. And it's a fairly stressful situation. I'd probably already poured north of $1,000 between our two cars this year, and now it's dead on the side of the road. I don't know what's wrong. I'm looking at the trunk. Semis are zipping by me. We're trying to enjoy our evening. And so a fairly stressful trial. Now, by God's goodness, we were able to get off the highway eventually, and the next day um, I was able to replace the serpentine belt, and I was able to get it back on the road. And, and so... But looking back, God's goodness in the midst of that was so clear to me. Uh, it was a minor inconvenience in the grand scheme of things, but if I didn't consider what God was doing, I would have had opportunity in my heart to be angry, to be bitter, to say things like, oh, of course this happened to me. You know, I just, my, nothing goes right for me. Or thinking along those kind of, that kind of line, which is self-pity and which is bitterness. But in thinking about God's goodness, I had no opportunity to say things like that. And so looking back on it, I'm sure a few ways that I saw God bless me and take care of my wife and me. I mean, first, just a few weeks ago, the previous week, we drove all the way to Tampa, Florida uh, for a vacation visiting Maddie's grandma. And by God's goodness, we did not take my car, but we took her dad's car. And if we had taken my car, we probably would have died somewhere in the mountains of West Virginia, which would have been not as fun. Um, second, the good, good that God was doing for me is that Mitchell and Mackenzie Bronco had two cars that evening and weren't too far from us. And so I was able to call them up and they were able to lend us a car for the evening. So we still got to enjoy our evening uh, with Maddie's family. And the third thing that God was doing to prepare me was that just two years ago that I had worked with Ben Bailey to replace my 
air compressor on my car, and in the midst of doing that, I took off my serpentine belt. And so I had confidence that I could fix it the next day that I pr probably wouldn't have any, had anyways. And then one of the things I'm most grateful for, too, is I, if you saw me that weekend, or even you may, can tell now, I was pretty excited to have gotten my car back and running on the road. I felt pretty triumphant. You know, we're having the uh, triumphant men's conference a couple weeks ago. I, I should probably give a testimony for that, for this story. But um, I felt triumphant. And God, I felt there was confidence in it. And, that, like, and I was grateful to God that he gave me that opportunity to do that. And even this last week, I had a house project that didn't go as well as I wanted. But on reflecting on this, I, I was able to fight any discouragement because I knew that from past experience that God was with, was with me, that he used my trial for good. And so if we can't, if you can't see the goodness of God in the midst of your trials, in the midst of the wrongs that others do against you, then you will be overcome by bitterness. You will live your life thinking, if only, if only this had happened, if only that had happened. You'll be like Uncle Rico from The Point Dynamite. You know, you know who I'm talking about. He lives his life saying, if only I could go back to high school, if only coach put me in the game, I would have thrown the touchdown pass and I would have gone pro. You know, it's funny, he's a 40-year-old man saying this, and yet that's how we live when we hold unforgiveness in our hearts. You know, we say, you know, if only my boss had worked with me a little more, communicated with me more, given me more opportunities, I, I, would have, I would have had a promotion. I would have risen in this company, and I would have more money, and life would be better, if only. Or if only my husband or wife was working harder or gentler or kinder or this or that, then our home would be better and I'd be happier. And I want to speak again to the children and youth. I know Jordan spoke to you this morning, and... I want to speak specifically to you again. I guess that's what happens when you have your, your youth leaders preach. But this is something you will have to fight, again, with your parents. Especially as you get older, you are going to start to see sins of your parents. When you're young, you, your parents are like God to you. They're perfect. You can't imagine them being any other way. But when you get older, you start to realize, wait a minute, they're not perfect. And you have a choice to either forgive them and forgive and not hold it against them, or to be bitter against them. So don't, don't be bitter. Don't live your life saying, if only with your parents. Don't say, if only they would have enrolled me in that school, I probably would have been better. I probably would have had more friends, had a better outlook for college. If only they would let me play that sport, I would have gone pro. If only they would have let me date when I was younger. Or if only, if only I had their parents instead of the ones I have. Do not, do not say these things. Again, when you say these things in your heart, you're ultimately saying them to God. You're saying, God, you failed me. Why did you give me them as my parents? But God is good to you. And God has loved you and blessed you. And your parents are a blessing to you. So do not, do not let bitterness take root in your heart. But learn to forgive your parents and to love them. As Jordan was also preaching to us this morning. And this is faith. This is faith, faith to see beyond our immediate circumstances to a God, a Father in heaven who loves us and is in control of all things. So in faith, forgive those who wronged you. Say they don't have control over my life. Ultimately, God does, and he works good for me. Say in your heart what they meant for evil, God meant for good. 
and forgive them. And so the third part of Joseph's response, the last one I want to look at, teaches us what complete, what full forgiveness is. So at the end he says, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So forgiveness, full forgiveness does not just stop at not holding offense against somebody. It goes beyond to seek the good of those who wronged you. Joseph didn't just say, I forgive you, now go your own way. It's better that we just keep our distance. He says, no, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will do you good. Often in our relationships, in church, and in our families, when we experience pain and hurt, we'll say we forgive people, but then we we live this life of trying to keep everybody at arm's distance from us. We don't want to let them in because we don't want to be hurt again. Or sometimes even preemptively, we just keep everybody out because we don't want to be hurt as we have in the past. But if we live like this, we aren't forgiving as God commands us to, and we aren't living in love as he commands us to, which is loving others, doing them good, but by the bitterness in our hearts, we keep them at arm's distance. And this is, this is the example God gives us as well. That he, God not only forgives us, not only says your slate is clean, but he adopts us as his sons and daughters. He pours out his love richly on us, even as we stray from him time after time. And so we need to mimic our Heavenly Father, or emulate our Heavenly Father, and love others, uh, love others and not let past wrongs keep us from loving them. So who do you need to seek reconciliation with? With whom have you let past wrongs and sins keep you from loving? Keep you from having Christian fellowship that God commands us to have? Uh, This forgiveness takes the hard work of reconciliation. It takes being uncomfortable. It takes fighting with people to bring peace and love and dealing with issues and being humble. But do not be content to live with an uneasy peace. To live keeping everyone separate so you're never hurt. If you're going to be like Joseph, if you're going to be like God in forgiving others, then you can't keep everyone at arm's distance, but you must love others even at the expense of yourself, especially at the expense of yourself. And so if you have somebody that, that's hurt you and you've just kept at arm's distance, begin praying that the Lord would bring about opportunities for reconciliation. And a good place to start with this is to begin just praying for them. Some, the person you're bitter against, you can't find you know, the heart to look them in the eye like Joseph, begin just praying for them. Pray that God would do good to them. Don't pray things like God show them their sin, but pray that God would bless them and give them success. Let this be your first step towards forgiving those whom you have found it hard to love and and who you hold hatred for in your heart. And so looking at Joseph, we have seen a great example and model for forgiveness. And we see why it is so important. He shows us that forgiving others is humble, that it is faithful, and that it means to seek the good of those who harm us. But the biggest reason we should forgive others is not when we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, but when we put ourselves in his brother's shoes. And so to close, I want to look at the story from another angle, that we are actually as Joseph's brothers, and that this is a picture of Christ's forgiveness for us. So though we have sinned against God, 
he offers us forgiveness. He chooses not to hold a grudge against us. In humility, Christ came, not as in the form of God to judge us, but as our Savior in the form of man. And he endured suffering and pain at the hands of man with faith and hope and belief that God would raise him. And now he seeks to do you good. He seeks to bless you and strengthen you, you and your children. This is the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. Shouldn't this be reason enough to let go of bitterness in your hearts, to forgive those who have wronged you? Isn't his love so great that it's worth letting go of those who have offended you, those who, have, who are in your debt? The love of Christ is greater than any evil any man could ever do to us. So do not let bitterness and unforgiveness rule in your heart. Look to Christ and find the power to forgive others. So who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to be reconciled with? Do not lay aside the love and forgiveness of Christ for the bitterness in your heart. His love and his mercy for you far outweigh, are far greater, more glorious, more powerful than any evil any man can do to you. So will you forgive others? and receive the forgiveness and the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for sending your Son to be a propitiation for our sins, for bringing us into your fold. Lord, we bless you and thank you for your great kindness to us, Lord. Would you give us the faith and humility to forgive our debtors as you have forgiven us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.